It's the Cracky Rugby Podcast. The home edition against Breve as the players just run out onto the field. It's a tough one, William. I know they had a good win last week, but Breve have got a better slide out. Conditions are perfect for a great game. Yeah, it should be a very interesting game. I expect Connick to win this. Uh, I'm not really sure Breve are that interested in this competition, but it's up to them to prove me wrong today. Um, they've got a different side, maybe a slightly smaller side, maybe a bit more mobile. But I think if Connacht can eliminate the errors they made last week, I expect them to win this. They could do with a bonus point. It'll put them in complete control of this group if they win. And the destiny of a home quarter-final and possibly semi-final will be in their own hands. OK, we'll talk again on 20 minutes. OK, William, we're 20 minutes in. Connacht lead 10-0 and it's a bit feisty. Yeah, it's quite sparky stuff. Uh... Bundy's in the middle of it, a couple of incidents, a few slaps being thrown around and uh, maybe a punch by a French player. Uh, They look a bit fed up. Connacht, fabulous try by Matt Healy from a a cross kick on a free, it was basically a free play uh, after a penalty. Jack Cardi, beautiful try. Connacht just need to settle it down a little bit here because they're getting dragged into a, a bit of a messy game. And I think when they get a bit of speed and a bit of width on the ball, they're, uh, they're well capable of putting this side away. They certainly are. We'll talk again on halftime. OK, William, it's halftime. 17 points to 10 for Connacht. A bit scrappy in the second part of that half. Yeah, I think their concentration went a little bit and Breve did come walk up a little. Um, I still think Connacht are in a pretty good place but they'll be unhappy with the fact that they, they almost let Breve back in and they're going to have to be very careful uh, giving away penalties, they just want to kick it to the corner, Rock and Mole Dennis Buckley's gone off so they want to avoid scrums I think um, but again just get back, reset get this job done Breve have got a little bit more to play for now whereas after 20 minutes they look totally disinterested They did indeed it was a super try by Jack Carty um, to put Connick 17 points to 7 up so hopefully they'll come out play a bit more open rugby in the second half and we'll have something better to talk about on 60 minutes Kieran Marmion's first touch of the ball we're, we're 60 minutes in it was a bit of a slow start to the second half but the score now reads 39 points to Connacht 10 to Breve on 60 minutes and it looks like the conversion will go over game over really yeah absolutely um, Connacht have done really be- well in the second half they've been a lot more clinical a lot more accurate and Breve have rather lost interest other than getting involved in a few scuffles so five tries bonus point is done and uh, this is what, what, what they want they now just want to close out the last 20 minutes of this game, make sure they pick up no injuries because uh, they've got a lot of rugby to play but uh, nicely set now in the European Challenge Cup It certainly is, yes um, Brief are down to 14 men at this stage and Connacht have really developed, or really scored two tries in a minute on that one um, fabulous try, Matt, Matt Healy is on a hat, has scored a hat-trick now at this stage, so uh, yeah we'll talk again on full time I'll just wait to see if Jack gets this. Yeah. 
Okay, William. Final score is 55 points to Connacht, 10 to Breve. Fully deserved from Connacht. Yeah, they did, did what I think was expected of them. Put, put away a Breve side that played in fits and starts, but really lost interest once the game drifted away from them. Connacht were very accurate in the second half. Took some lovely scores. Uh, Matt Healy, four tries. Some off-the-training-ground moves in a couple of cases. Beautiful long line-out throw. I think James Connolly picked it up, fed it inside to Matt Healy. Somebody you don't see very often. Good performance. Um, brief, bit niggly, bit fed up looking. And this group now completely at uh, Connacht's mercy. It certainly is. It's the first time there's ever been a Connacht player in the professional era to score four tries. I'm sure it's probably in the amateur as well, but I'll, I'll need to spend a bit of time going through that. Um, great win, something that was needed, and it'll be really interesting to see if they can take this sort of form into Ulster next week. Yeah, it'll be a totally different game, totally different pressures in an inter-pro, but winning is a great habit, and there's a lot of guys here who put their hands up for selection next week, and there'll be other guys looking for selection. That's what you want. It certainly is. Okay, we'll take a break, and Rob will be here soon with everybody else on the podcast. Kieran, a really, really good two weeks work from your team and 10 points from 10 points. I mean, you couldn't, obviously, couldn't ask for any more than that. Yeah, I'm thrilled for them. Um, I think two weeks is a long time. Well, it's not a long time, sorry, in, in rugby. And you probably don't recall, but two weeks ago we were reported as being dismal, which I thought was totally unfair. And I think the boys probably um, took that, those reported comments to heart. And we've been promising a few things. We've been promising to get better. And I think, like the last time we came uh, to this competition, the Challenge Cup, we, we were able to gather some momentum. Um, and we certainly, it's great that we've been able to do it again. So do you feel your side have been a little bit misunderstood in, in terms of the block of two games, the Cardiff game, and maybe the Zebra game in particular? And, and what, do you think, what do you think elements of, of what we saw in the last couple of weeks or what have been missed maybe by some of the people who have been calling the team dismal? Well, I don't know if it's a misunderstanding or what it is, but mm. um, beware of the... Uh, I wouldn't bother answering um, that. How about this uh, at halftime, 17-10? The game's actually more in the melting pot than, than this final scoreline will ever kind of suggest. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, it was a contest, and, and I know we we ran away at the end with some some, some sublime football, to be honest. Um, it was great for the boys, but uh, no, it was a tussle. You're right, at uh, halftime, it was in the balance. Mm. Yep. Must be pleasing to see Connick start the game with a really strong maul. You know, the last week's narrative was Brief had the big pack and Connick tried to, to open it up a little bit, but it was a bit of a statement to start the game. The pack put in a big performance today as well. Yeah, look, everybody had a had a good day. Um, the pack played well. The backs had their moments. Um, the counter-attack had some great things. There was some delightful um, uh, ambition being shown, particularly the the kick across from the penalty from Jack um, just shows that they're starting to enjoy themselves. 
and we're reaping the rewards of that. You know, they're feeling good about themselves, and um, and I know, you know, we're not world beaters in some people's eyes, but um, it's nice. It's nice to uh, see the boys express themselves uh, and enjoy what they're doing. What's interesting from my perspective is is there was a couple of moments in the game where Connick looked like it could, could get bogged down, you know, at 17-10, for example, or you know, I'm just thinking just after they scored when Carty came up with that great try just to respond, a lovely pass from Delahunt. It looks like Connick are dealing with adversity a little bit better now than maybe earlier in the season around about September when things weren't going as well in home games. Yeah, yeah. Like, we haven't been really bad, in my opinion, like, as it's been reported and I've said, um, um, you know, we haven't been thrashed and we haven't been put to the sword. So, you know, that says a little bit about the team and it says a fair bit about the character of the individuals. Um, And I think we're making good progress. Um, um, And that's what the name of the game is. This is... uh, um, this is just part of the stepping stones. You know, we've got four underpros, uh, three underpros to go over the Christmas spell, and this will give us a lot of confidence going into those games. Well, unbeknownst to most people, Jack Carty is probably one of the hardest working members of the team. He works diligently on his weaknesses, um, and he's been just. His, the people may call it a revelation, but um, it's not. It, it's come. It's been born from his diligence and his attention to detail. So, you know, uh, you you have to tip your hat to a young fella um, who gets out there and tries to get better every day. Um, and we're there to help him and assist him. As Matt will attest, we we push push the barrow. We try and make everybody better. So. No, Jack's just, he's in form at the moment and he's feeling good about himself and, and so he should. Yeah, he wasn't on getting up after he, he took a big hit there on stage and got up and kicked nine from nine, it was pretty impressive. Very impressive and um, says a little, about, a little bit about the fellow, doesn't it? You bring a fresh perspective, obviously, but we bring history. Interprovincials at Christmas don't usually work out too well for Connacht uh, in general. I think most Connacht fans would snap your hand off for one win from three, but you're not going to think of it that way. Certainly not. Certainly mm. not. No, no they're, all, uh, they're all challenges, and, and we'll roll our sleeves up, as we normally do, make some plans, and we'll be really united about how we're going to go about it, and we'll go and give it our best shot. And that's what we do every week. There was a comfortable element to this game. A lot of tries scored. The opposition not nearly as strong as what Ulster will be able to put in next week in that second half. Do you have to dismiss a lot of what was good from here or do you feel this could be a catalyst for what you'll do against Ulster? Um, Not so much a catalyst. Look, I think um, everything uh, bounced, went our way as well. Like, we made our own luck, Mm. which was absolutely um, pleasing for myself to see that so um, and and I've been calling that ambition but um, I don't that brief side is a very big physical side mm. uh, and Ulster's no different so hey uh, let's see how it rolls you know we'll prepare in the same manner that we've always done and, um, 
I think the, the fact that it's a, uh, an interpro, it'll bring its own special, um, um, what's the word, ambience, um, for the want of a better word. What am I looking for? Atmosphere. atmosphere. Thank you, Lindley. Um, it'll bring its own atmosphere and we'll, we'll, uh, we're at home, so I think the people will come and that'll make it just great. Um, and the boys all really respond. Did you see Ulster last night? No. no. I you watched were... it this morning. Have you been impressed with what you've seen from Ulster? You've seen them up close, but last night, what do you think of respect? Oh, look, Ulster have, um, they've, they've just managed to win, don't they? And um, they've had their backs against the wall and come out on top uh, every time. So, um, yeah, you know, got to tip your hat to them for doing that and having that sort of resolve, um, especially when you possibly count them out um, on a couple of those different fixtures. So, um, also, big challenge, huge challenge. <coughs> But we'll be at home and we'll have the clan behind us and that'll, that'll help. Matt, we just have a couple of seconds because you're a busy man, but uh, you've had four tries tonight. It's been a fantastic performance. Let's get straight into the element. <coughs> just being on the end of some really good attack play, how much are you enjoying the way this back line is playing in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, look, that was a very enjoyable game to play in. Um, but look, it comes on the back of some very hard work. And I think we, we learnt a lot of lessons out of last week. Um, you know, we cut it a bit finer than we wanted to. Um, so I thought the, that display from the lads, especially, you know, the forwards fronted up physically. And I thought Jack Hardy pulled the strings at 10. And, and, and look, we got the result out of it. Do you know, it's interesting watching Peter Arkey settling into the team. That little kick into the corner for you to chase on to. I mean, I was looking at it from a pretty bird's eye view and I don't even know how he saw the vision, but you knew he was going to do it. He's bringing an extra little skill dimension to the back line, isn't he? Yeah, he's certainly injected a lot of uh, enthusiasm into our back line. And, you know, he's a quality player and, and we'll miss him over the next couple of weeks, unfortunately. But um, look, this it's situational. Look, they presented a lot of these situations to us on the pitch and, you know, we've got to see that and recognise it. And I thought we did that very well tonight. There's something Nigel Carran was talking about in the press conference this week he wants you to play to certain templates as he says but at the same time a huge amount of it is to see what's in front of you we saw that with Marmion's try last week and so on and so forth yeah look I suppose it is different this this kind of uh, coaching style if uh, for want of a better phrase but um, it's all about heads up rugby and, and the accountability is always on the player and um, I think the lads are, are getting to grips with that now and I think we're, uh, we're seeing the fruits of it we hear Kieran he wasn't very happy with some of the criticism that was coming at the team after this every game he fights your corner but he'll be hard on you as well yeah he certainly is hard look he speaks his mind and, and that's exactly what we need at times and uh, I think players respond to it extremely well and we saw I think on the back of last weekend's performance which wasn't ideal and we didn't get the, the result although we did win that we wanted um, and there was a few harsh words said as there always is and I think the lads are responding to it as I've said so uh, we got the result tonight thankfully Every point matters in this competition even if you storm clear and win the pool you'll want a home quarter final maybe even more in, as a top two seed Oh look 100% and um, that's, that's the goal in this competition is to get a home quarter and maybe home home semi so uh, we put ourselves in the right right position and, and hopefully um, hopefully we can finish strong in the competition yeah. Ulster looked good yesterday. They did, yeah, they did. Look, they're they're on a good streak at the moment. John Cooney's pulling the strings there, so uh, it'd be nice to see him back in the sports ground. But um, look, that'll be a huge game. It's a huge three weeks ahead, so we're looking forward to it. 
Okay, we're ready to go for the core of the podcast. That was Matt Healy chatting about all things the way Connacht are playing right now. We also heard from a very combative Kieran Keane. Quite pensive. I think that's Kieran Keane in happy mood as well. Nice you. Welcome along to the podcast. Welcome. Well, I'm in a happy mood. <laughs> yeah, well, so you sound about as uh, high pitch and happy as uh, Kieran Keane gets to, which is not very much off the centre. He's a very much an even keel type of guy, Alan Deegan, and he immediately went to uh, criticise some of the criticism that his team were getting last week and kind of pointing out that, you know, people were saying we were in real trouble. I don't think we were. Uh, What's your thoughts? Let's, let's wait till we get back to the Pro 14. Playing, playing European rugby is a completely separate thing. Playing against teams who are not playing all their first-team players, you can't jump on the bandwagon and say that, you know, oh, yeah, we're brilliant because we were after beating Breve twice. Um, let's see what happens to Luster next week. What's your thinking? Uh, almost exactly what Ellen said there. They, Breve, aren't fantastic. Uh, the team they brought with them wasn't fantastic. Uh, let's see in the Pro 14. Let's see what it's like. Um, but I do like the way he's come out, you know, batting for his team. Yeah. See, I, I kind of disagree with him, but yet I like his, the style. So, yeah. I, I, like he was saying, people said we were... What was the word he used? Dismal. Dismal. And to be honest, and this is quite controversial, I wasn't the one who said they were dismal, but I'll say it now. They were dismal against Ebrey from watching on the television. Having said that, I'm still loving the fact that the coach is coming out and saying, I don't like the way Rugal's dismal. Because, of course, he has a better, wider perspective on it. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's what you want from him. Totally different character to Pat. I think if people are looking for a Pat Lamb, you know, he's not him for certain. But I, I, I really like the way he came up for the team. And that's that's what's important. Um, and, you know, they put out a good performance for him. Lindley, welcome to the podcast. First of all, I just let you finish off some last minute work there before you joined us. And on that idea that, you know, you can sit there and go, I'm sorry, kind of disagree. I think you were pretty bad in that every game. But at the same time, love his attitude and kind of back him on what he's saying too. Yeah, I... I, I I think at the end of the day, their backs were kind of to the wall after that performance in Zebra. They had performed well against Cardiff the week earlier, despite the fact that reasonably well. They'd gone to Zebra with high expectations, and for whatever reason, they themselves said they really didn't know so what actually was going on, maybe in their heads. And I think that really put the focus on, you know, and the pressure on them to perform. Mm. Now, I know the Challenge Cup is a different competition, Competition, but they did have to go to Breve. They did perform in Breve. They dug out a win after being 16 points down, and then the brief was to come back to here and to perform consistently with consistency. Now, they still had to beat Breve, and you know, they were only you might say that Breve weren't the best team in the world, but they're bloody big and they're very physical, and they still had to overcome that without getting in a dogfight and there was a period in the first half where it did get a bit scrappy and it did get a bit kind of messy and it could have gone a lack, lack of discipline but in fact everything they held everything together and they just performed and played and I think you know take your hat off to them credit them you know seven tries at home festive occasion what more could the you know everybody want and I'm delighted for the delighted for the players who probably have taken a bit of stick and probably deserved a bit of stick too because they are professionals and you know that's what people do so at the end of the day they answered it they've come back and hopefully it will go on into you know they'll go on from here and produce maybe in more important games or less important games or whatever games and 
and the Enterprise. What I liked about tonight was there was moments in it where it could have got really stuck in the mud. And unlike those games in September when it did, in each of those games, including the Kings game, but also the Glasgow game and the Cardiff defeat, kind of got bogged down. They got themselves out of it straight away with scores. And also because their skill set has improved again. We're looking back at a, a team that has a skill set that's similar to where it was a couple of years ago. They're trusting, they're making good decisions. They're not just throwing offloads for the sake of throwing offloads. They're not expecting you know, offloads to be taken at every moment in time. They're looking at, is it the time to offload? No, it's not. And it's because they're playing heads up. They're looking at what's in front of them. They're seeing what's in front of them and they're executing properly. Yeah, and decision-making as well. Yes. They're making decisions now, whereas I suppose before maybe it was pre-prescribed. Um, yes. there'll be this, this is, they're making, they're making really good decisions. They, they kicked very well. Uh, Jack Carter kicked very well. Um, and, you know, they, they brought that, they continued with that throughout the whole game. So that's a real important thing for me. It'll be important to see how they do against a team who won't give them as much space. Because Brief did give them a little bit of space in both games. Their, their defence wasn't up as much as you see in the Pro 14. There wasn't as much pressure put on to the back line as you see in the Pro 14. So it'll be very interesting to see whether now that they've got their skill levels up that they trust that and bring it forward into the, into the Pro 14. It's interesting there was a confident out half at that. When yes. they did rush up, yeah, yeah. the ball went in behind them and uh, Peter Hackey as well, a beautiful grubber through. But what a kick. Yeah, that yeah. kick into the corner. I, I keep, keep saying, right, so from my perspective, top of the stand, like you got to see, I got a bird's eye view and you can see how he can pick that out out of the side of his eye. He's just got to have a sense of that from maybe three, four seconds beforehand. And like, uh, Arky smash and grab, you know, his smash bang runs, Lindy, is one thing and his little offloads, that's great, that's all good. But tonight, he just seemed to bring the whole game to He's good, is what I'm saying. Are you talking about Eki or Aki? Arky. <laughs> Pitta. Arky. <laughs> yeah, look, he's obviously, he's he's only been here a few weeks, so he's, you know, having to, you know, get get involved in with the, with the Connacht team and find out their plays and find out the personalities, and he's becoming more at home and more, or more confident. And obviously, he's probably delighted because he does have Eki next to him. Mm. Um, and the two obviously feed off each other. They can probably talk their own language a little bit while they're playing. Um, and they, they look like they are enjoying this type of rugby in what were beautiful, great conditions tonight as well, you know. And, I mean, I think Kieran Keane alluded to it in his press conference when he said he was expecting or he believed that there was more to come yet from Aki. And he certainly, he certainly got the crowd going. At one stage he got the ball and he started ripping up the crowd. Is that he's, he's bought into the fact that the crowd are really important and that, that uh, you know, for the players to acknowledge the crowd brings a whole level of, of energy that comes off the stand onto the players onto the pitch and it, um, it helps kick everything on once the, they went down to 14 men sort of reverse Kyle Sinclair but more on that later in my any other business <laughs> Alan was on about uh, Peter getting mm. the crowd up and going I, it just kind of struck me there it was great that we didn't have so many died in the wool starters playing there mm-hmm. and that they like we had a very young back row and Owen Masterson was he's captain in waiting um, yeah. Yeah. as far as I can see 24 years yeah. of age yeah. man. No, but it's very good that he's there and he can it needs to take the pressure off uh, John because Mull's been he's played what did we say 11 out of 12 games 11 out of 12 yeah. yeah he's played 11 games so far this season no he looked like he wanted to get on there himself at some stage he was doing jumping jacks to beat the band but um, no it's just really good to see you know the, those fellas got on James Conley played a role in one of the tries lovely assist off the back of that uh, throw over the top of the line nearly called it an overthrow oh it? yeah no lovely ball lovely ball back inside and who better than Matt Healy delight for him to get back on the uh, I know he scored a few tries in Europe but uh, it, 
it has felt like he's been forcing it a little bit and um, it really just came off from tonight he runs great lines and it's great when you've got the gas that he has you guys wouldn't have got the view I got of his footwork along the touchline it was sensational it was like what did he say fortuitous I think he said Lindley which it most certainly wasn't it was it wonderful it was, well I described it as acrobatic but that's a great word for it it really was but he, he did, took it he in he one did hand it very well yeah. got his feet down and then he still was off balance for the next three or four steps and he kept in play. Yeah. And I think from there, his night was just electric, really. Well, it certainly did sort of kickstart. Yes. You know, it, it, it sort of just breathed new life into, for some reason, to both the crowd. Mm-hmm. You know, it really got the crowd going. And I think it just gave a huge, huge boost to it, to everybody. Mm-hmm. I put it to you, Alan, that if Jack Carty was able to put a run of 8, 10, 12 games like we saw against Munster, like we saw in the last two weeks, he'd have every reason to believe he could work his way into an Irish squad, never mind be Connick's main guy yeah it's yeah consistency like, that we need yeah it? you're talking and Ronald O'Gara mentioned it about four or five weeks ago on one of on a, on a rival podcast where he said you know someone asked him about you know who are the tens in Ireland and he basically said well Jack Carty's very talented he just needs to be consistent oh wow brilliant and so we're now seeing a bit more of the consistency and I think that's really important as I say I've watched Jack since under 12 because he's the same age as my lad so when he was playing for Bucks and my lad was playing for Weeds we met him every year and invariably Jack Carty destroyed us um, with his kicking and his ability to see in behind and his ability to, to change a game by you know just having time on the ball and, and he now seems to have grown into that role and at 25 years of age that's what you'd expect from an out half yeah, he's, he should be coming into the prime of his career there now. Um, Kieran Kane said that, you know, he's what is he, one of one of the hardest working fellas yes, there in, in the squad. And fair play, I'm sure he is, and everybody else works hard. It's his confidence level and his, you know... Hmm. His game can vary dramatically. Let's 100%, 100% he can. Um, but he was, he was nigh on perfect tonight, to be honest with you. And... If Matt Healy didn't score four tries, you know, he's your man of the match, without shadow of a doubt, uh, and possibly still could be your man of the match, you know. Um, but he, he, was, he, was, he was he was on perfect tonight. Team game. Team game, man of the match, blah, blah, blah. Lindy, any other highlights from the night, the kind of players that stood out, caught your eye? Since Buckley picked up an injury. Eyes up in. Killian Gallagher, fantastic. Very, yeah, very confident, actually. Yes. Yeah, he was very confident. I was, I was impressed with him for his only a second start for Connacht. Yeah, oh, yeah, 20 years of age. For a guy at that age, his his ability to seem to have time on the ball for a forward was amazing. At one stage, very early on in the game, the ball sort of went loose. He flicked it on the ground and then took it like a scrum half and did a dive pass. And I'm going, wow, this kid is 20 years of age. He's he's special. Yeah, I think that we're almost there. We've got to talk about Ulster, so that's going to be really important. And we've got to talk about maybe some of the other things around the fringes. Like, even though it was mentioned in our midweek podcast, maybe some of the contract news, Kieran Marmion obviously came after the podcast. I think Connor Carey was announced before, so we'll talk about that too. Lots to talk about. But a big segment coming up now, so let's get on to it. Damien Brown. Damien Brown's going around the world in a boat. He's not going around the world. No, he's he's going across the Atlantic. <laughs> I meant that. I meant that. That's what I meant. I really did know that. I'm sure to a boy from Bell and Robe, it probably seems like around <laughs> the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm back to Bell and Robe again. There's an app for that. What a player he was for Connacht. What a sports star he is these days. Well, he certainly is. And uh, no matter what you're doing when you're listening to this podcast, he is in a little boat somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic rowing across it on his own, uh, which does seem a very adventurous proposal I took the opportunity to catch up with him before he left and uh, he's going to explain to you the hows and the whys he does know there's direct flights from Shannon doesn't he? 
Yep, I think he's aware of that because he probably got a flight from somewhere down to the Canary Islands where he started. Uh, he's in the water about uh, two and a half days at this stage. Uh, I think he's thinking he's going to take about 60 days to do this. Um, but he explains very well how he's going to do it and why he's going to do it. We're having part one in this podcast and then next week after the Ulster match we'll have part two. Thanks, William. I'm with Damien Brown, who has had a distinguished rugby career, a 13-year professional rugby career, and he played 283, I suppose you could say, List A games for Connacht, Northampton, Breve, Leinster, and recent a team that Connacht played, Oinya. But since he's retired from rugby, he's uh, started to take on some very serious challenges uh, and he's now taking on something that I think for most of us is almost impossible to contemplate. He's going to row single-handedly on his own across the Atlantic. Damon, you're welcome to the Craggy Rugby Podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, looking back, at, at, it strikes me when you see, what you're going to do now is a highly individual event. You're on your own, uh, but you're coming from a background of rugby, which is a team squad orientated thing where there's always a group of players and then you have the coaches and the management structures. Um, can you compare and contrast how that works? That works? Um, well, it's exactly for that reason why I'm doing it as a solo participant, you know, I'm um, I'm pretty, uh, so been in a team environment for, um, well, it was over 15 years, I suppose. Um, I know what a good teammate is. Um, I was always a teammate. I felt I was a good one. So when I came out or when I was even in the middle of that part of my life, it was always something that appealed to me was trying these kind of individual challenges. So, um, it was it was always something I had my eye on doing once rugby finished and once the body was still um, able to take on these kind of um, extreme um, physical challenges. And were you always attracted to that sort of thing? Was it always in your mind about this, <clears throat> even when you were playing rugby and focused? Because rugby players, it's a very, professional sport or any sport at an elite level is incredibly focused it's it's all about that but was this sort of your daydream in some extent if you were thinking outside your sports box were you thinking about traveling in a simple answer yes it was a little bit of a escapism from the pressures and the realities of the rugby environment which are, are pretty extreme um that being said i was i always passionate about traveling and also always passionate about the the body and how it functions and the the power of the the body and the mind combined so these um these adventures when i when i kind of first became uh conscious of them i kind of knew they were for me straight away because they ticked uh, both boxes you know the the traveling and seeing the world and um seeing less um traveled or less known parts of the world and then 
with the physical side of it and the challenge and the, the mental challenge of it all, they were just a perfect fit for what I wanted to um, attempt when I finished rugby. So are you sort of building up to this one? I mean, I've looked at some of the stuff you've done. You've you've claimed Mont Blanc, you've claimed Kilimanjaro, uh, you've, you've been in Afghanistan. Um, then you did this marathon to, to Sable, uh, 257 kilometers in, what was it, about five days? Six days. Six yeah. days. Yeah. Um, what does that what does that involve um it, it, it that's exactly what it was they were i i i'm only now ready to take this challenge on it wouldn't have been ready two or three years ago you know um not so much physically or mentally it's just the whole the, the whole campaign around it so all of those were kind of precursors to this and um smaller challenges and um part of the evolution to get to this stage uh the mountain de sable was um the first big post rugby adventure and challenge uh yeah like you said it was 257 kilometers over six days so the equivalent to six martins in six days um self-supported again so uh we carried everything on our uh, back that we needed for that six days so all the food all the cooking utensils all our clothing um and uh we um had a double marathon in there so they weren't exactly set out as marathons each day some of them were a little bit shorter than a marathon but on day four there's a double marathon which is 84 kilometers so uh it was pretty extreme it's known as the world's toughest foot race uh, i'm not sure if it is but it's one of the original ones uh it's going for 32 years now um and it has a kind of a cult following you know so i had my eye on it for about 12 years um very similar to the row Around the same time, I came became kind of conscious of both of them, and uh, that was the first. That was the like I said, the first one post rugby, and the one I felt most, um, in a way, the one I wanted to get out of the, <laughs> wanted to get done first because uh, running and my knees and just chronic uh, problems from rugby um, might have got in the way down the line, like in five or ten years. So I kind of wanted to wanted to kind of get stuck into that one first when I felt um, able to do it and looking at doing something like that again on, on your on your own going out of the rugby the team context was that is that part of the challenge or is that just something you deal with for the the mountain de sable and the mountains uh, not so much because you are there's people there you're surrounded by people you're doing the race you're, you're climbing the mountain with people so it's quite uh, sociable you're getting to know um, you know, people you just met. Um, with the row, um, you know, once I leave, once day one is over and all the boats leave kind of at 15 minute intervals from each other, I probably won't see another human um, for maybe 50 or 60 days. Or I'll see a couple of boats passing and, you know, I might see the support crew once or twice. But without a doubt, that will be a challenge, you know. Um, I don't know how I'm going to react, but I don't want um, to know how I react from all the, before I start these adventures, you know, I want to take them on and see um, how challenging they are and see uh, how I grow from that challenge, how I react to that challenge, how I overcome it, how I grow from it and evolve from it and all the, the rewards that come from um uh, taking on a, a massive um, physical and mental challenge and um, 
and coming out the other side of it. Does some of that um, challenge or gross learnings, whatever you know, point you want to put on them, do they occur at the time and then maybe a month later there's a different reaction and six months later you, you learn something else, even, a, even in, the, in a time gap after uh, doing something like this? Yeah. Do, you, do you think it's, you're, there's a constant evolve on that? Um, not not when you're um, in the middle of it because it it's from my experience it's basically you're in survival mode and survival mode doesn't switch off until you've survived so if you come be overcome certain little challenges or big challenges in the middle of it um, you don't have that period to uh, relax and reflect and you know be satisfied in in conquering or conquering that challenge you know you you're you're still kind of uh living in that um living on the edge kind of you know living um in that survival mode one thing i've been really um almost come addicted by is the the deep reward you get from these um challenges it's not so much uh something that hits you straight away it's something that grows strong or slowly and slowly the kind of further you come out the other end of the challenge you know it's it's uh it's kind of like the opposite to you know the instant gratification that seems to chase us all in in our kind of daily lives um and it, it's like a a calling back and a a warmth to the success of having come out the other end successfully of a challenge I read on your website and I'm going DRD force <laughs> slash 7R the explorer's gene yeah. I was fascinated by this what, what? tell us about that because <laughs> you seem to have seem to have it in spades well I I was um, I travelled a few years ago into Afghanistan like you said with a um, a British company called Secret Compass and uh, the founder of Secret Compass is a guy called Levinson uh, wood and I was listening to a talk he did online and he mentioned this gene um, it's it's like a dopamine receptor and it's called yeah DRD47R I think and um, the minute he started explaining it um, like it seemed to tick so many boxes with me about like um, the satisfaction that we get from our certain certain types of people and the way they kind of um, chase certain um, feelings or uh, um, yeah successes in their life, you know, and it just seemed to make a lot of sense to me, and it just seemed to kind of answer a lot of questions to me. Uh, they said it's very prevalent in like uh, um, pilots and sportsmen and um, photographers and astronauts and. Um, yeah, it, it just it just ticked a lot of boxes for me, you know. So I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. I don't know the depths of it all. But um, when I when I first uh, encountered it, I was um, almost uh, it was almost a relief <laughs> that it answered some questions for me, you know, because um, I feel like I'm I, I don't know I always felt like I was just driven a little bit differently to a lot of people I knew and I got a lot of satisfaction from stuff that people seemed to think was um, a little bit off the wall you know so um, you know maybe maybe it can be put down to something like that but it's not 
it strikes me that it's not sort of an, a, you know, like an adrenaline junkie thing. You know, guys that jump off mountains in these wingsuits or para. It, it's something different. It, you're testing yourself in an endurance, but you're also having to to trust your own uh, judgment and your own abilities on a sort of a constant basis. Yeah, there's a lot of um, intuition as well that gets tested, you know, and uh, we we can test ourselves, you know, we don't need all the answers, you know, we we can go into things a little bit blindly and, and kind of have confidence in our own ability, our own intuition. And like, for, for example, with the role, like there's, you could train for three or four years and still I feel prepared, but still not be prepared for what's going to face. You're going to face out in the middle of the Atlantic, or, or you can just train for a year and just you know, just say to yourself, well, what have I got to lose? I might as well go for it now. Like you know, I can't learn any more about, um, about the ocean, and there's there's going to be unknowns, um, and let's just, let's just have confidence in our own ability to adapt and overcome when faced with certain challenges. You're leaving on December the 12th. There's 30 boats you've said taken off, but you're all going to go off and do your own thing. You're not traveling together. So how do you actually leave? Where do you leave from? A, where are you leaving from? Um, so the start line is a, a port in um, Lagomera, which is the island just south of Tenerife in the Canary Islands. Uh, San Sebastian is the name of the town. So that's been the base for the last few years of the, it's called the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, um, or the starting line. And yeah, simply there's, there's like I said, there's 30 boats between four man, three man, two man, and I think there's about seven, six or seven solos. Um, we leave at like 15 minute intervals and um, that's it then until we kind of a million strokes later, we reckon we get to the other side if we're lucky. Um, we won't really, um, we won't really encounter each other as as boats, or we, it would be a huge coincidence if we were to, because we're just such tiny little dots in such a vast kind of expansive space, you know. So the thing that strikes me, I was thinking about this today before I came down to talk to you. You start off. What happens when you? What what do you think is going to be the, the the feeling when you suddenly you can't see land? Suddenly there's no land. Is it going to be fear or exhilaration or? Because I that that's what I think would really freak a lot of people. They think like I'm fine. I can still see land, and then suddenly I can't see land now. So <laughs> how how do you get your head around that? There was a um, there was a roar a few years ago who did it with his wife, and um, he, I think he was a, an Olympian. And he, um, the minute they lost sight of land, he completely panicked and he quit the race inside like five days and his wife finished the other side <laughs> and he was the Olympian. So um, I think it'd be uh, foolish for me to say I know how I'm going to react. I can visualize it. I imagine it'll be quite um, scary. It'll be quite a, um, a reality check. You know, this is what you're in for now for the next kind of, oh God knows, you know, two months. Um, I imagine as well when I think about the race that that period of like day four to day kind of seven, eight, nine is going to be the hardest because 
in the first three days you have all those kind of um, emotions, positive emotions about you know the exhilaration of starting and finally taking on a, a something that's been a dream for so long. Um, but you know, with those peaks come troughs, and then when you lose sight of land, um, it's just going to kind of deepen that trough. So that's when I think will be the hardest period. Kind of after that, then I think routine will take over, and it'll just be you'll just hopefully be kind of machine like, you know, going through the discipline of your day and that daily routine, rowing, sleeping, eating, doing your little. Um, your hygiene and your stretching maintenance and yeah and that that's the way i imagine it working out you know i um reality might be a different thing but uh we'll we'll adapt if that happens you know yeah because if you're in because you're on your own if if you're more say just your motivation drops there's nobody there to drive you on if you were in a two-man boat yeah but then you could also have a situation in a two-man boat i suppose that you're you're fine but the other guy loses his motivation so how do you do will you have to really channel do you, do you think people doing it on their own are going to have to really channel when that that you've described it as a trough when that trough comes to say yeah, i've got to steal my nerve here uh definitely um so i i use a lot of um from rugby and just from over the years of training and you know trying to grow as a, an athlete and just trying to push yourself. I, I use a lot of kind of um, certain mental uh, resets in my, you know, in my training. So I think when your motivation goes or when you're feeling sorry for yourself or whatever it may be, which without a doubt will happen at times, it's just having that uh, realization that you're in a negative mindset and just trying to, um, trying to turn that around into a positive mindset. So just having processes in place because um, God knows how many times that's going to happen when I cross, but I, I presume it'll be a lot, you know. Um, but if you don't realize you're in a negative mind space, you can't change it, you know. So the first thing is to realize it. And then what I use is certain mantras or, uh, well, firstly, I have a cut. I call it like, it's to break that negative thought process and then it's to, um, and then it's to use some um, just positive reinforcements or affirmations or mantras to get you back into a, um, a positive mindset. So um, it might be as simple as just saying to yourself, I'm unbreakable, I'm unstoppable, I'm a machine, something like that. You know, as corny as it sounds, it, it works, works a lot, it works really well. So I use a lot of that in my training because I train um, a little bit differently. I don't train uh, any real um, endurance um, I train at a real high intensity, so I'm always pushing myself mentally and physically. So um, I use those um, those processes regularly in my training. So I'm quite used to them and I'm quite comfortable with them, and they work really well. Another one is then it's just a lot of mental strength, it's breath control. So it's just been um, conscious of what you're doing with your breath at all times. So if you are getting negative, it's just uh just tuning back in almost like a type of meditation i found it really good in the mountains because obviously you're under a lot of pressure with ox lack of oxygen in the air so um you really have to focus in and, and use in literally every cubic centimeter of your lungs you know or that you can force oxygen into so you're really not tuned into anything else apart from your breathing patterns you know so again on the oars it won't be it won't be like that because i won't be oxygen depleted at any times but 
you know, if you get negative, you'll often find that you're holding your breath. So it's just to, you know, release that hold and just get back into a nice rhythmic breath control. And that's another nice way of um, controlling your mind. And we're back. The voice of Damien Brown there chatting to William. More from him next week. Alan, can you give us an update on how the former Connick second row is doing in his race across the Atlantic? Yeah, he's, he's uh, third in the solo event because there's various different boats. There's two, three, four, you know, single, single rowers, two rowers, three rowers, four rowers, four rowers, and he's currently third in that race. You can catch it up. We'll post it on Twitter, the app that you can follow them on um, both your iPhone and Android phones. Um, so you can follow and see how he's getting on. And Kieran Keane was in quite the uh, jovial mood by his standards. I think people sitting at home will know he's in great form. He's quite an unusual character. But you could see Matt Healy's reactions to what he's saying as well. And I did, as people will have heard on the podcast already, I asked Matt Healy afterwards, he, he bats your corner, doesn't he? And I think they like that. And I think then when he comes out and he criticises them, then they take it in the right way when maybe others who are way outside of Connacht mightn't understand it. Well, I just think he's a typical New Zealander, to be perfectly honest. And I think that's maybe why it's kind of misunderstood. In, in, in we understand you, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> I, think, I think he's the typical New Zealander in the sense that he, yeah. he, he, he speaks from the head and the heart at the same time. He, he says what he says he means. Okay. And you don't take offence at it. It's just the truth, how he sees it. Yeah, and yeah. there's no need to take offence at it. If he's saying to his players they need to do better, then they need to do better. And yeah. I think the players know that he has their interests at heart. He wants them to get better. He's delighted when they do get better. And I think they understand that. But maybe his comments in isolation, if taken in isolation, is that people maybe do not understand. I, I think he's a person who wants the res- players to take responsibility on the pitch mm-hmm. and he's giving them responsibility off the pitch. He just wants to... His idea is basically to develop these players to to, to win matches and he doesn't really like taking... He, as he said himself, he's not comfortable taking credit, you know, when they when they win and obviously when they lose... He doesn't take the credit for that either because he he puts the the ball squarely in the players and the yep. players and that's that's the way he is. And that's the way it should be because it's the players who are on the field. All the coach can do is prepare the players as best he can, but they're the ones who have to execute. They're the ones who have to go on the field, execute their skills, get the game plan, decide whether it's working or not, and if it's not, change it up as they are on the field. They're adults. They're full, fully grown men who've got all the skill set and it's up to them to decide what they're going to do. And we're seeing more and more of that now. There was at least a couple of times tonight where you could see situations where under a previous regime you would have seen a pass go that would have went to an, an opposition player. But the correct decisions, decision was made. Sorry, I too much can of Mara whiskey. Um, and they held onto the ball and it was recycled and away they went. And, and that's, that's really good to see. Yeah, I'd agree with that. He famously said in an interview there, uh, the days of the talent too are gone. And so far as he, you want players to have more strings to their bow, basically, than, than what was there. And you can see he's trying to develop that here. Um, like Matt Healy wouldn't really be known for his rough work or tackling work, but uh, he was fantastic a couple of times here. Good Big centre lined him up. Yeah. And yeah. no problem. No, that's obviously we've the defence coach here that has to take uh, credit for that, but as well. But you know, Matt Healy did that as well himself. You know, so and even on the the other parts during the game, um, when Breve were possibly threatening to you know 
step up and get on top in some ways they, they were able to mix it up so like in that defence with the kicks in behind so yep. they had a soft defence and then they came hard and Connacht reacted to it yep. you know almost yep. pre-reacted Absolutely. to it and, and that's where we saw the benefits yep. of that yep. There, yep. yeah exactly no I like that I think actually just going back to the, the brief game the previous week, if you, anyone was listening to Nigel Carolyn and yeah. the press conference this week, yeah. he was explaining about that part of that policy of heads-up rugby. And in the demonstration was we were talking about Jack Carty, how well Jack Carty had done for that try that he... No, sorry, I think, was it Jack Carty or Karamamian? It's Karamamian's yeah. try, I think yeah, it was. Right, yeah. And he was saying that there were three options, options. that right, yeah. there were three options that, you know... Could, were open to Connor to do at the time and you know basically that was the, he's, he was saying that that's right Dar- Matt, was it Dara Lee or Matt Healy that must have been it must be Matt Healy Matt no Matt Healy kind of drew attention on that's the right. blind he took, that's he right did, yeah. he moved out of the blind and he sucked in two players Ooh. so and then he said if he if he hadn't taken you know the sniping break himself there was there was Bundy Aki and Aki ready winning in midfield if he decided to chip through for them so it was about the players really keeping watching what was happening in the game and the one person who has the responsibility to take that option than being aware of that he's yes. going to take an option and being aware of it yeah that's well described and I think he used a word in there there's a template but what happens after that then is, is, is how you expand that. And I, I found that really interesting because, yeah. it, it, you know, it's not like what they don't want you to start thinking is they're just saying, go out there, lads, and play some rugby. Like, no. There is a template, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's not a clear... And Joe Healy was talking about in the commentary as well. You know, the three, four, three pods and all stuff. That was great. And it was beautifully constructed by the likes of Dave Ellis and certainly Pat Lamb and so on and so forth whatever it was yeah, 343 is probably what I'm doing a football manager right now um, but yes yes 214 thanks Alan uh, anyways I'm off my train of thought they do, they do have a similar template now Connacht it's more 1331 okay yeah um, and they're, they're is that why I'm seeing Delahunt popping up in the right wing a couple of times yeah. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the reason that's all because yeah. in the commentary you're just going on the play by play and you're like there's Delahunt there again I'm seeing a pattern but let's not try and make sense of it yeah. Yeah, yeah. no no um, I mean Ed, but it's not it's not so rigid I think uh, right. and gotcha. I think that's templates as opposed to yeah but you're also looking at, at more consistency in the selection as well like that's the first time Dallahunt has had three games in a row where he started mm-hmm. you know one bad throw at the start of the game are we going to get this again blowing liners in 20 no we're not nailed it after that he certainly did and, and played some great rugby and a very nice angry Tom McCartney that came off the bench yes. as well which yeah. Are, yeah, was really like, he's going to be kind of useful in three interprovincials at Christmas oh, no 100% but what this has done now by way of, I'm sure it's it's that would be prescribed by them. Is that we we've opened up a squad now, where they've um, there's there's options there because if you've, the games are fast and hard now over Christmas. So there's a there's options there for playing you know playing different combinations and different players in games because I'm sure Kieran Ulton and Bundy's uh, certainly Bundy's minutes are going to be are going to be managed. So that's you know we've got that now. It's a, it's a shame to be losing Peter Aki, um over uh, over the Christmas and you know <laughs> you're going to say over a wedding that's what I'd say personally but that's just I nearly me. got in severe trouble over uh, over this podcast <laughs> mentioning oh. a wedding so uh, <laughs> all the married people in this podcast would uh, completely support Pitarchy and I think I'll stand up for single people and say what are you at there's a big couple of games coming up forget about that nonsense uh, Lindy you do not have to follow on from that comment moving on to Ulster because we've got to do that Mm. Ulster, yeah, different proposition, isn't it? 52 points against Harlequins yesterday. A very good away win in the yep. snow. They're a better team than they were a month ago. That's, well, so are we. So, Ooh. 
Um, yes, exactly. And I think that's the attitude Karen Keane is taking as well. You know, that yes, different proposition, but I'm sure they'll, you know, do their homework on Ulster and try to find obviously any weaknesses that they have and exploit those. And but yeah, it's 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 a it's a big test. But I think as Kieran Keane said, we're we're at home. Yes, and the home crowd obviously make a huge difference, and the home crowd He's really. Funny really enough, he said that as well. Yeah, he said that as well. Yeah, I put it to him that like he brings a fresh perspective to this. We look at these with dread at Christmas in particular, but uh, yeah, he seemed to say no. <laughs> I'm looking at three games that are all winnable. Yeah, and so did Matt Healy. Um, Matt Healy said that we're going to win all three. <laughs> well, yeah, he said. <laughs> but he was saying it more in response to your question. What, exactly. What else would you do? Was was his yeah. point. Um, no, that's that, that's great. Uh, also, looking like it's possibly they could be without Charles Pieta, no? so oh, that, that could that be a major loss for them. It does change a lot for them, um, and they'll be you know they have fellows whose minutes are going to be managed as well. But at the same time, Alan McCluskey looked good yesterday, and Stockdale looks amazing off the wing, and their packer there. This is going to be a hard win if we get it. Yeah, but if you go back to the game where we lost up in up in Ulster, it came from one piece of absolute brilliance with from between. Um, Piatau and, and Stockdale other than that say Mull should have yes, had roadkill for yes, Stockdale in that should game. have done but he didn't and, and Stockdale had the, the ability to then finish off that try and, and follow up with, with, with Piatau but other than that that game was there for us to win you know, take that try out of the game it's a draw you know, and, and, and we're that close to them and I still think we are this is a big chance to just turn the tide into Pro 14 because look Fourth is going to be tough because one of Cardiff Ospreys, well, not Zebra probably, but certainly out of Cardiff Ospreys, they're going to storm at some point, I'd imagine. Fifth has to still be doable. Fourth's still doable. No, fourth is still well doable. Um, Based on the standings, you know. Well, yeah. There's an awful lot of difficult games left in the in the Pro 14. There's a, an awful lot of difficult games left in the Pro 14. But it, it's doable, and I think we have the quality to do it as mm. well. It's not... Um, I don't think we're looking for you know teams to to lose form and stuff like that. It's certainly doable from from a kind of viewpoint, but we have to get points in the next few games. Between now and the end of February, until we go to Treviso, and the six of the next seven games are on this island, throwing a two-week break as well. That's a big change from being travelling all the time. Yeah, travelling is is rather tiring for everyone concerned, you know, but obviously particularly the players and. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, you have to make these home these home games count. That's where most most teams do pick up yeah. pick up their wins if you pick them up on on the road. So all well and good. Um, and having lost, unfortunately, those two against Cardiff and, and Zebra, this is the period now where where Connacht do need the points. You know, let's hope these two wins in the Europe are a springboard for mm. for much for much better um, results. You also, I think, do have to remember is that when you're talking about you know you're talking about the squad of players that Kieran Keane now has, I suppose the major difference you could see this season is because he has actually introduced most of his subs a lot of the times as first selections. So he's had more. He's more had a squad of two teams as opposed to a first team and replacements. Okay, yeah. Because he has he has That's had to he yeah. has had to chop his he has he and he said himself he didn't know the players so he had we had to actually use the players in these all these first matches to see where they were at mm. and I think what you're seeing is the benefits of that when you can see you've you've got three very useful hookers yes. who, I mean, with Heffernan in there as well, such an athlete, so you've got three really top-class hookers there that could go on in any game and it depends on, now you can see it depends, you know, maybe McCartney doesn't need to be on, but 
at times when you've got John Muldoon and Turner O'Holler and, and other experienced players. If you've got a lack of experience on the pitch, then maybe someone like Tom McCartney needs to go in there in the pack because of his experience. Mm. So I think I think he is developing um, maybe a much broader squad than you know what had been developed before. Any other business time, people? Because I think we've done enough on these two games. Alan's got one lined up. Good work, Alan. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> the goalposts. They're, they're painted. They are not bloody painted. It was going to be one or the other. No, they're not. <laughs> and I am really hanging. I'm actually, I'm going to go into the branch. I, I, actually, no, I'm going to try that thing of sneaking in and getting the paint and see do if I can paint do? them. We should troll through YouTube, right, and look at all games of Connick back to like Michael Swift scoring that try in 2008 yeah, and, and see, see when the last time they were painted. Exactly. Oh, we'll do that. I'll do that. Oh, we have you have you have another bit of any other business as Linnea's pointed out. Ah, you're in women. Almost won the interprovincial championship. Yeah. Huge win away to Ulster with a bonus point. Yeah. Amazing first ever win over Munster that defeated Leinster cost them a title unfortunately. Yeah, losing to get uh, missing the losing bonus point last week cost them a title effectively because Munster Munster beat Leinster today and, and uh, like they're a seriously talented team and they play at a really high level and it's just so unfortunate that there's only three games and they invariably clash with Connacht games. And we don't get a chance to see them often enough. Hopefully next season they might change the morale a little bit, which gives us a chance to go and watch them because there's really, really good talent in that women's team. OK, I'm just going to throw in uh, random any other business, which was great to see Joy Neville not only getting her first ever professional game refereeing, but getting that kind of coverage in the Independent, I think it was, on the front page today. Just really good moment for women in, in our sport. And uh, hopefully not the end of it. Moving on, other business. No, you wanted us to guess the any other business, but our batteries are low, so you got to go fast. Okay, well, guess what could my any other business be? Um, really bad referee. Nope. Scottish referee. No, stay. No. <laughs> no, Lindley. No. Batteries running low. Ali, Alan, Alan. Have a clue. The Connacht Senior Cup was played today. Oh, should have. It obviously. finished. 12 minutes into this game that was played here today. Oh, that's ridiculous. Sligo won it for the first of the beat my club. Groundbreaking for yeah, Sligo. For the first time since nah, did, did I hear 78 years, something, something like that. That sounds about right, yeah. And that's that's it. That, it should that's, be a huge victory. They have a player in the senior team here in Killing yeah, Gallery. Exactly. They brought through how many Irish under 20 internationals over the last year, years, including Conan O'Donnell, who's still in our setup. And exactly. Uh, it's like five, they've had loads, loads. five players. Uh, and now their first team are delivering a top of the table performance in the All Ireland League and a Connick Senior Cup into the All Ireland Cup semi final. Exactly. And they're, they're a fabulous club, and I love what they're doing up there. But the, my main problem is that this game was played. You know, well, listen. They had it was at home in Sligo, so that, and I'm delighted about that too. But it was played like 12 minutes into this game. I didn't hear a single thing about it up until uh, I knew obviously the Corinthians were playing in it, but I didn't hear anything more about it. And yeah. shame on the branch for that now. Shame on the branch. Fully agree. And the Cali Cup final was on today as well. So all that going on, and and not a chance to kind of uh, you know stagger the times. My any other business will have to wait for another time. Fair enough. I had some rants. They're related to very important issues. But for now, that's it from us. Alan, you'll be back in the midweek podcast. Yep, we'll be hopefully have even less players to talk about in the uh, injury list. So yeah, we'll be there. Thank you, Lindy. You're welcome. Thank you, Packy. Uh, I'm off to uh, Alan's Christmas party. He's going to buy me a drink. Hey, hey. I'm off to my own kind of Christmas get together. Have fun, everyone. We'll talk to you next week.